Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. On December the 13th, 2015, from Coolidge, Arizona. Uh, good to have everybody on board today. We're in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start right in with just a couple points of um, review, and one is in verse 6 of chapter 4. We want to talk about Caiaphas for just a moment, and we'll go on from there, and we'll have some... Um, as I told told Greg a little while ago, we're going to have some tomato-throwing subjects today, and that'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> by the way, we had we were soft in fog this morning up north. Came down here, and we have clear skies. So anyway, we're in Acts chapter 4 and verse 6, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, very specific people now because the, you know, the Bible deals with specific people, specific places, and specific historic events. It's the only book on religion, the only religious book that deals with places that you can go to with historic events that you can read about in the history books and about people that you can find out about in Cyclonius history as well. There is no other book in the world that's religious that does that. You cannot do it with the Book of Mormon. You can't do it with the Book of Shintoism, um, Hinduism, or anything. The Bible deals with real places, real people, and real historic events. I don't need much more than that. Now, so in verse uh, verse 6, we have these names, specific names, and, and notice this, this little phrase here. And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest. So these people knew what Luke was talking about because most of the folks here in Jerusalem would have been of what descent? Jewish. So they knew the old covenant system of the high priest and that it required a kinship. I'm not going to go into that anymore today, but you ought to know about that at some point along the way. So as many as were of the kin, uh, kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. Your Bible may say at. Now, <clears throat> we want to look at Caiaphas for just a little bit. He was the son-in-law to Annas. What does that mean? Married to his daughter. Okay, he was married to he was married to his daughter, and uh, so what does that tell us? In opposition to most of our religions today that have some 
facade of priesthood. Not in every system, but what generally? Most of the time, in the major religions that have a priesthood, how does that their concept differ from that statement we just read? Marriage. Marriage. Who said that? You did. Give her an A. Secretary. <laughs> Inscribe it in gold. All right. So the high priesthood here, there was no prohibition for marriage. There's a reason for that. And um, a lot of, even, even the Roman church today has a prohibition on marriage, forbidding to marry. Paul talks about that in Timothy. <clears throat> That's a sign of um, bad things to come. Anyway, Caiaphas uh, was a son-in-law, and he was what member of the Sanhedrin? What position? Now, you probably don't know. That's all right. For for everything you don't know, you get certain pluses. If you don't really know, that's worth 10 points. If you really think you know and you're wrong, you get 500 deducted. Okay. He was a Sadducee. So here, now you need to keep this in mind as we go. I have a little, I have a little, this is not really a rabbit trail. This is what we call a special study within our context, (laughs) rather than a rabbit trail today. Uh, but he was a Sadducee. Look at John eighteen thirteen, and let's let's take a look at that. <clears throat> I've just got two or three little points here, so that we can plug into Caiaphas and and what it was that Peter and John were dealing with. And I have a reason for picking Caiaphas out of this group, and you'll you'll see that in a minute. Because Jesus had some encounter with Caiaphas that we're going to look at. And you need to know that. All right, what did I say? Um, uh, John 18, 13. For, um, so the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Oh, that, that, I guess we'd already said that, hadn't we? Uh, but we hadn't read the scripture yet, so now we have that confirmed. Who was high priest that year, and so now, now we have that all, um, all straightened out. And... Um, Now let's move over to um, uh, Matthew 26, 3 to 5. Well, what, is, what does verse 14 say? Uh, because we're, that, this may come up again too. I'm not, I don't want to dwell on that too much right now, but he, advised the, he is the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. We think of that in a real positive sense. 
he was thinking of it in terms of, of um, you know, we've got a big problem going on. If we can get rid of one guy that solves the problem, let's just get rid of him. That was his main take on that. Hi, Nolan. I didn't see you sneak in. I was focused on good things, and I missed you. He's slow. He'll, he'll, he'll snap out of it here pretty soon. All right, let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verses 3 to 5 to begin with. <clears throat> so the chief priest and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. Does that plug us into the right guy? Yeah. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. So who were they kind of wanting to favor a little bit here? The people. The people. You know, let's, we know what we want to do, but we've got to be careful how we do it because the people may not like it. And that's one thing. Now let's go, um, let's go to verse 57. I would say he was the high priest between... Um, A.D. 18 and 36. He is the one who demanded the death of Jesus. In our text here in Acts, chapter 4, we're going to discover that later, but we won't do that that this morning. He he was participating in the trial of Peter and John in verses 5 through 7, where we're almost there. He he was participating. So how do you see this guy? As a Sadducees of the Sanhedrin, you know, we see we see that uh, he was really, really on top of the group who were wanting to get rid of Jesus and get him out of their hair. Now, let's go to um, verse 57. Are we there? So those who seized Jesus led him away to whom? Caiaphas, the high priest where the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders were gathered together. I like this next verse. It doesn't have anything to do with where we're going right now, but uh, look at it anyway. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. So, you know, Peter was all gun-ho, but now where is he? He, He's following at a distance. Uh, And... uh, Anyway, and he was sitting back out of the limelight to see what the officers would do and to see what the outcome was. Now let's go to verse 64. Now, Jesus said to him, you know who the him is? Caiaphas. What was Caiaphas's high? Uh, what was his position? High priest. He was high priest. Caiaphas, high priest, Sadducees, the one demanding the death of Jesus. And while, while he goes on his tirade, Jesus kept silent. silent. 
he knew when to keep silent. That's a hard thing to learn, when to be quiet. And the high priest said to him, now who was the high priest? Caiaphas. You know, it's in the context. So, I adjure you. I mean, I have the authority. I adjure you by the living God. I demand of you. I'm tweaking your nose. I'm drawing blood by the very living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. So what's the demand of Caiaphas, the high priest? Tell us who you are. Is it true? And why is that important to him? Because that's what the high priest is all the high priesthood was all about was the preparation for the coming of the Messiah. But we we've already read that. That's right. He had already known what he wanted to do and was just looking for the you know it's just like whenever there's a problem and people say oh I don't know what to do they already know what they want to do. They're just waiting, wait, waiting for the opportunity that justifies them doing what it is they already know what they want, what they're going to do. That's that's how we operate. You know, that's what happens in marriages. That's what happens in churches. You know, people know. They know what they want to do, and so they just look for an opportunity to do it so they don't get blamed for it. You know, <laughs> isn't that true? That's just kind of the nature, and we we have to be careful. Not to get sucked into that. So anyway, Jesus said to him. So now, Jesus, he's, what has he done in verse 63? He starts by, he has kept his silence. Keep that in mind. He kept his silence. Now he's going to speak. Jesus said to him. Who's the him? Caiaphas. It's Caiaphas. You know, follow through in the context. We haven't got time to do that this morning, but it's there. Jesus said to Caiaphas, you have said it yourself. In other words, in your demand, in your adjuring of me, you have stated the position and you're right. He's assuming that Caiaphas really knew. But he didn't fit the criteria of the Sadducees. So that was a problem, but that's different than we're dealing with right here. You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you. But I don't know what I'm talking about when I tell you this, right? Isn't that how Jesus spoke? I don't know. I'm going to tell you something, but, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I may be wrong. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus breaks his silence. Now he says, says to him, you have said it, you have said it, you have said it. By the way, the yourself isn't in the text, in the Greek text. It shouldn't be there. You have said it. In other words, in your statement, you have answered your own question. Nevertheless, I tell you, Boy, don't forget that little phrase, I tell you. Who is he addressing? 
They're addressing specifically the high priest. Hereafter, somebody in the far distance, is that what it says? That's how you're going to read it. I said this was tomato throwing day. You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you know, we do you have the Greek up? We ought to make sure those U's are um, the same, and if they're different, why? Well, it would it would not exclude who he was talking to, but it would include someone else. And I'm I'm I have a reason for because see it is plural. I say unto you all. See down there. Let me let me get my. Human is plural. I don't have to prove it. It's just the way it is. Yeah, okay, there you got it. It's plural right there. And Jesus, thou, uh, you have said, nevertheless, I say unto you all, hereafter, so did that include Caiaphas? Yes. Yeah. But he enlarges the audience to beyond Caiaphas. Hereafter, you all. And by the way, this being the middle voice says, and I say unto you that you all are going to see for yourself. Hereafter, you all shall see the Son of the man, of mankind, sitting out of the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Or upon the clouds of heaven. Now, what cannot possibly be true about what Jesus just said? All those people to who... That's a good one. Yeah, all those people to who he is speaking must all still be alive today if the general thinking on the coming of Jesus is true. This is the number one reason of amongst theologians why people reject Jesus as the Messiah. This is the verse. Because it proves that Jesus was ignorant about his own future. From the standpoint of the theology now, mm-hmm. see, of today. Because what people today don't realize that what he said was true. And it was true in his lifetime. And it did happen in his lifetime. And every verse of Scripture that's used regarding the coming of Jesus Christ is all taken care of at the fall of Jerusalem and the judgment of the Jewish people under the law at the presence or the parousia of Jesus. Did you know that?
Where's the tomato? You see, right there, I tell you all, hereafter you all, to whom I'm speaking, you will see all of the things that we have by our false theology projected into our future. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, this is the most embarrassing scripture in the Bible. And if you read it and understand it, it is, if your theology isn't right, it's an embarrassing passage. V.F. Skinner, his reason for writing his book on why I am not a Christian is based on this verse. I'm not a Christian because Jesus did not know what he was talking about. And this isn't the only verse. I'm just picking on this one because it deals with Caiaphas. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. It's we have misunderstood the scripture. And that's the influence of false religion. It gives people a wrong image, so when they see something in the Bible that doesn't agree, agree with their present thinking, they reject the Bible rather than reject their theology. See what happens? Now let's shape up. <laughs> you know, let's get over that hogwash. So that's how, uh, that's how Caiaphas fits into this, and Caiaphas lived his days, and he did not end his days until what prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled? That one. Otherwise, we have to throw it all out. You have no excuse for following in the footsteps of Jesus if he's wrong here. You cannot be both ways. That's tomato time. And I have a spare jacket out in the truck. <laughs> Got to make you think. All right, now let's, that's one point. Now let's move on. Uh, back to our text in chapter 4. Um, in verse 7, now I have, another, I have another special study coming up here in just a moment. But let's read some verses with just a few comments in the, mean, uh, in the meantime. And, Verse 7, chapter 4 of the book of Acts, and when they had set them in the midst, now who's the they and who's the them? All right. And the them, Peter and John particularly. They asked by, and there's a comment I want to make. Because, see, as soon as you add that word by, now if it's there, that's one thing. But, folks, it's not there. I don't care what anybody says. If it's not there, then we ought not put it there. It's not by. By is agent. See? It's like when people say, oh, you're saved by grace. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. That's not biblical, but we all say it. By is never associated with grace because that makes grace an agent. Grace is not an agent. It's static. It's it's all that God has done for all of mankind equally. 
it does it is not operative it is static we enter into grace we take our stand in grace we enter into grace when we enter into Christ in baptism grace is all that God has done for all of mankind equally for each dispensation of time, each covenant situation. It's always what God has done, and we enter into it or we come out of it. We are to remain faithful within it. It's not an agent. It's static. It's a state of being. Never a by, even in Ephesians 2. There's no by there. By grace are you being, you know, anyway. Look at this. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power? No, power isn't an agent. It's in what power. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think I think it is. Both places. There, there you go. Okay, in, in what power, or, or in what name? My translation has the second, in, okay, or in what name? But it's the same both places. But it, yeah, it's the same word. This, this word, this little word there is N. And it's, it's, you know, it's like English in a way. It's pronounced almost like our N, but this is N. And it's positional. It's a preposition. It's where you are in relationship to something. Into is ice, and that's the process of entering in something, the process, the changing of state. Into, from one state to another. When you're baptized into Christ, you've changed state from being outside of Christ to entering into Christ. People who think they're saved before they're baptized and then say they're baptized anyway into Christ have just transferred themselves from Christ to out of Christ. See? Because into means a change of state. So if you are baptized into Christ, but you're already saved when you're baptized, then when you are baptized, you're baptized out of Christ. Why do people get so stupid? <laughs> you see my point? Prepositions are the key. have to know your prepositions. But these are in. So in what power? It means that he's not talking about an age, an age, uh, an agent here, the agent of power, but he's talking about they are in a position of authority, in, in the position of power. Dynamos means they, they're in the position of capability. Or in what name? They're in the character that the name represents. They're in that, they're consistent. What they're doing is consistent with where they are. So they asked the right question, folks. The Sanhedrin asked the right question. Our translators have got it wrong. 
So now let's go to verse 8. This is really going to be. Have you got your writing hand ready, really warmed up, ready to go? Uh, well, don't, don't, uh, not yet. But So look now at verse 8. So first of all, in verse 7, we're talking not about an agent, but where these guys were who did this consistent with what it was they did. Now, then Peter, who? That's clear. How does Peter fit into this thing? Well, he's been in all of these, but where was he in chapter chapter 2? Is what? I yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he was back in the background, but not in chapter 2. No, in chapter 2 he was preaching. Yeah, well, he was the one that took the stand in chapter, uh, chapter 2. He was, he was amongst those who, of the apostles who were filled in spirit. Now, notice, we're going to have a little study here. You need key attention. Now, if you get it right today, you should have a change of thinking. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And that little phrase is what we want to look at. First of all, let's go to the original and look at this, and I'm going to go to another passage. Then Peter filled. Well, now what kind of words have we got missing? It where's the with? Where's the the? You can see. Then Peter filled spirit, neuter, not personal. See neuter. And it's in what case? Remember? Genitive, what does that mean? Possessive. Possessive. Now, you add the word of in possessive. means belonging to. He, he was mature the word filled means mature, filled full. If it is filled as we think about it, how do you take a person and half fill a cup with that person? It doesn't make sense. What would you have to do to that person in order to fill something half full? You'd have to yeah, you'd have to. Isn't that barbaric? See what we've done to the idea of spirit? We have, made, we have barbarized the whole idea in our theology. It's shameful, folks, and we're so used to it, myself included. So Peter filled of spirit. It's genitive, case. That means of or belonging to, but filled of spirit now, and because it could be any spirit, what kind of an adjective do we need? Okay, this is going to be holy. 
So he wasn't just filled with spirit or filled of spirit, but with Holy Spirit. And you see, there's no with, there's no the. Now, let's look at another verse. This is opening the door to something we need to deal with. Um, and by the way, it, I, don't th- I don't think so. But I don't think so here. I'm going to tell you why. First of all, if you look at the parsing of this word, um, filled here, folks, you know what a parsing is? All these words here are the breakdown. This word is spelled in relationship to inclusive of all of these words. That's all built into this. That's how a Greek word is spelled. A verb. You know, a verb has to include all of these issues. However, this happens not to be a verb. What is it? It's a participle. So what, what is it now? What does that mean? It's a verb made into an adjective. So it's descriptive of something that Peter has. It describes a noun. It's descriptive. It's not a it's not a pure verb. It's a participial, which uh, participial, which uh, participle, which means that it's a verb uh, changed into an adjective, and so that's all built into the um, precise word. All right. So now it's passive. Passive is key. That and now. When did, and, and but the key, of uh, Nolan, is in the arrowist. Arrowist is when. One point in time in the past. You could not, pot, no matter what you had, this is in the arrowist tense, which means that it's referring to something that took place with the apostles when. On the day of Pentecost. And people will take this verse and say, we need to emulate Peter. You can't. Because this is referring by its tense of something that took place one time in the past, not to be repeated. And it's a descriptive idea now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. We've got to do this quickly. We won't get done. Then we'll have to go backwards next week to catch up to where we were last week. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, this is going to take some... Uh, verse uh, 18. Chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Now, we need to see this. Let's read it in English first. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, think about it. Do not get drunk with wine. No, I, I, no. do not get drunk with wine. Well, who's that talking about? It doesn't say you can't drink wine. It says not to do what? Don't get drunk with wine. Who? 
Well, it's, it's, I'm assuming that he's talking to the Ephesians here. So we're talking to them. But when he tells them, do not get drunk with wine, who is it that has to not get drunk with wine? Yeah. Is, aren't they the responsible one? Isn't the people whom he's addressing, aren't they responsible for whether or not they get drunk? Yeah. Is somebody else responsible? Are you responsible for what the Ephesians do? No. So now, let's, um, for that dis, uh, uh, dissipation, and uh, that's, that's, that's naughty. Oh, I don't, don't want to go there. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's go to the Greek. Folks, we've got just a few moments here. We've got to cover this quickly. First of all, I want this word, this word drunk. You notice it's, it's second person. Oh, there you go, plural. So all those people to whom he's addressing are not to get drunk. Is that true? And who is it of them who isn't to get drunk? All of them. Who's responsible for whether or not they get drunk? They are. In the present tense means keep it that way. (laughs) And notice that it is listed here in the passive voice, which means they can't have anything to do with it. You got a problem, eh? Yeah. Hello. Oh, oh, there's room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's room. The fee is a little bit late. I mean, a little bit high. Yeah. It goes up by the minute. <laughs> How are you today? Okay. Wonderful to see you. We're about to finish up here. So be so when he says not. Be drunk, no, 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 with wine. And then he puts it in the passive. And yet we know that in this case, that this word means that the people are responsible for not getting drunk. Isn't that who he's addressing? Isn't that what makes sense here? And not only that, but it's in the imperative mood, which means shape up. Oh, the Greek's terrible. Have you got all that in mind now? Second person, plural, present, passive, imperative. And yet this word, what I'm going to tell you is that this word here, the endings of this word, this is a passive ending, but it's also the same as the middle voice. So there's no distinction, and the translators always put it in the passive. There's no difference between the middle voice and the passive voice when it is this particular F ending. So that's just a grammar rule. But doesn't it make sense here that this is in the middle voice? What does the middle voice mean? All right. That it says that you take you assume the responsibility for yourself. That's middle voice. Otherwise it would be don't let somebody else get you drunk. Yeah. Well that's a good idea too, but that's not what he's talking about here, is it? Yeah, no. It's really clear. All right. Now, let's go to the last phrase here. We need to go up just a little bit. <clears throat> I hit myself with the wine. <laughs> you did? Is that your excuse? 
<laughs> All right. But, exactly the same word, but it's the word be filled. And notice, it's second person, plural, present, passive, imperative. How could you have passive imperative? It's impossible. You can't have the passive voice with an imperative mood. Why? It's exactly the same ending as the other one. And the reason the, the epsilon is dropped up there is because it, the vowel, there's no vowel before. This has a vowel, so the vowel is dropped. Otherwise, it's the same. See that? Yes, See the rule? Okay. So, be filled. Now, notice, there's, to be filled with the Spirit, that's impossible. I like to say some really complimentary things about people who think that, but there are none. Well, the width is wrong, too. There's no width. So, take your Bible and mark out the width. You can't do that because it's not there. It doesn't exist in any Greek. Lexicon. There's no article. Look at here. No article, the. All it says is, be filled, what? Spirit. And it's middle voice, so it says, fill yourself with spirit. But there's no with. As opposed to wine. As, as opposed to what? Wine. As opposed to wine. You see, the parallel between wine, dr drunk with wine, is the individual responsibility of the members of the body of the Church of Ephesus and is also the individual responsibility to have your spirit mature. And the word filled here means that you have all of the necessary ingredients. Just, just says be be be. Be mature where? In spirit. In spirit. See, that it's in spirit. It's in your spirit. You've all heard somebody say that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Folks, that's not found anywhere in anybody's Bible. It's not there. You just can't find it. I don't care. Well, I want to go to Romans 8. I don't care where you go. You just can't find it. It doesn't exist. But we believe it because we've been told that. And it's like my grandma, you know, she always cut an inch off of the end of her ham. And we asked her why. And she said, well, that's what my mother did. She cut an inch off of the end of her ham. And she was asked, and her grandma asked, you know, why do you cut an inch? Well, my it handed up that initially, ten generations ago, somebody had the idea that the hand was too big and they were making it shorter to fit the skillet. We have the same problem with how we think today. You know, we we've only know what we've been told, and we kind of get used to it, and and it's not wrong being told, but we need to make sure that we don't clamp, clamp onto something that we've been told if it's not right. We need to remain flexible. So when it says here, we, we need, we have the same responsibility 
of what goes on in our spirit as it is with what we go on and put in our stomachs. See that in that text? Don't be drunk with wine. It's your responsibility. What you put in your spirit is up to you. Be filled in spirit. Get your spirit mature. Grow up in spirit. See, that ought to be the theme of the church, is how to make our spirits mature. And Hebrews twelve twenty three, I think we, we read last week, where it says be, uh, where the, the spirits of just men made perfect. I think that's Hebrews twelve twenty three. The spirits of just men made perfect. That ought to be the objective of the church. How do we mature and perfect our spirit? Because then it becomes the thing that we rely upon for doing the right thing. It's it's the seed of building the conscience. There is no conscience without the building of our spirit. That's where the conscience is built. And without it, we have none. Our time is up. No tomatoes yet. Greg, did you not bring them? Okay. Okay, so you can see the parsing of both of those words is identical. The mistake is uh, that you can't have a passive and imperative. That's not normal. There might be some exceptions to that. But you can't, how can you place a command on something that who you're commanding can't do anything about it? You see, and that's what the imperative means. You see my point? That's like telling them to walk up the wall. Yeah. Well, it's like I used to tell my kids, you know. Here's what you've got to do. Uh, you've got to go to that wall. You've got to climb that wall. You've got to walk across the ceiling. And if you don't, don't do it, I'm going to bash your brains out. Now, who looks like the fool? You. Yeah. Because I'm asking them to do something I can't do. So he's giving them something here that has to be done for you, but you're giving a command that something be done for you that you can't take care of. See, that, that, that doesn't, that's, a, that's a mistake with the program, but it's a common mistake with almost all lexicons unless they, you go to that blue book over that blue series over there, uh, Kittle's works, and it will have that all spelled out for you. But you gotta you got to know how to put that stuff together. So anyway, we got... You have a responsibility not to be drunk with wine because that leads to dissipa- dissipation. You have the responsibility of growing up in your spirit as both individually and collectively. Be mature in spirit because there is where the seeds of the conscience are established and other things. Your identity Your true identity is established there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these moments. Together in your word, as we move through the book of Acts, Father, there are so many rich, one upon another, uh, rich ideas that can really help us uh, get a handle on what it is that's going on with your dream for humanity here in this book. We, we appreciate 
Dr. Luke and his writing and his record. And uh, may we be committed and continue to be committed to grasping what is right. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, go get them, Tigers. Oh, we do? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.